Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Brian Monte. You're in for a real treat. In this episode, we share part two of Miss Carol's riveting story. At 100 years old, Miss Maud Carroll says her tumultuous upbringing shaped her unique abilities as a music teacher. She's taught piano to more than 2,000 students. Amazing. I would say episode one described a life that was at many times unpleasant. Very unpleasant. <laughs> yes, very. But life does get better for her. And we save the best for this episode. She meets her husband. Life starts looking up. Oh, good. I was really feeling for her. Let's take a rewind in time and it gets better, right? Eventually. In the home, I never had a hug. I never had a word called love. Never had a word called love. I never had a kiss. I never knew what a kiss was. All those things I never knew until I was out of the house and a grown woman. Never a kiss, never a love, never a hug, never an embrace, never knew what that was to see or to hear, never, until I was grown. But I felt it in the music. That's where I felt it. I got it out of the music. I got that emotion. I felt it in the music. You wonder, well, Maud, how did you ever get married? That was a real experience. One day in the church, my mother was late coming in and the boys, it was a novena, and I was sit, sitting waiting in the church for the novena to start before I went to the choir loft to play the organ. And the boys came in, three of them came in and sat in the row, in the pew in front of me. And they looked and they saw me. And then one said to the other, oh, Maud's mother isn't here. Oh, now we can get a kiss. And um, they giggled, they started laughing. My mother came from nowhere and she sat right behind me and leaned over in the pew. And when they turned around, she said, if you want anybody to kiss, and then that bad word in the church, she said, you can kiss me. You know, everybody heard it that was sitting in the church. She used to embarrass, she used to embarrass me all the time. A novena was at Sterling, New Jersey. The nuns asked my mother if I would play the organ for the novena 
in Sterling. They had to travel by bus. My mother said yes. She said there's a pool. So after the novena, she was going to have the children at Queen of Angels have a little recreation, go in the pool and have a little, you know, um, something to eat and then go in the pool and then come home. Could Maud go in the pool? And so my mother said yes. So I played for the novena. Now my husband at St. Peter Claver, he went to St. Peter Claver, Mount Clare. He played drums and he was in the drum and bugle corps there. My stepfather was in charge of the drum and bugle corps in Mount Clare as well as the band in Newark. So my husband um, was at the novena. So all of St. Peter Clare's children were there at the Sterling Novena. So that's how I met him. The boys from Newark said, Mrs. O'Loughlin isn't here. Now we're going to get a kiss from Maud. I was in the water. Two of them, one took my left hand, the right hand, and said, now we're going to get our kiss, Maud. And I said, no, 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 I can't do that. They said, we're going to hold you down under the water. When you come up, if you don't kiss us, kiss us we're going to hold you down. They did. They held me down. And when I came up, I was out of it. They said, I said, I shook my head. They put me down again. My husband was a student lifesaver at the Y. He saw what was happening. He didn't know me, but he saw what was happening. He jumped in and he saved me because the last time they said, she's not breathing. And I went down under, they ran, they were afraid. They ran out of the pool. He came in and saved me. So the nuns of, of course came on and they undressed me and, and out of the suit, you know, and put me, put my clothes on. They told, his name was Edward Carroll. So they told him to stay with me when they brought me back home until my mother came. I said, oh no, no, he can't stay with me. But the nun said, stay with her until her mother comes because we cannot stay. That was on the church steps. So I said to him, because they called, they let my mother know that they were there. They told her the time, but then they alert her at the time, but they didn't tell her what happened. So she was walking down to meet me. I said, Ed, please go, please go. He says, no, I have to stay with you. I said, oh God, she's going to kill me for sure this time. So I start walking towards her. And so she came, she said, who is this? And so he said, Mrs. O'Loughlin. Then he explained. So she said, she thanked him. She was very cordial. She thanked him. So he said, may I call tomorrow to see if she's all right? And she said, yes. So that was the jumping off point with him. 
and he did call and she was very good about it because then the nuns called to tell her what happened. And that's how the courting started. He worked part-time for the Newark newspaper. It wasn't the Star Ledger at that time. And then when he was delivering, he had picked up and was delivering one day in the evening, he asked, could I ride with him to drop it off at the office? And she said, yes. When he came, all three of us went. <laughs> and when he asked another time, all three of us sat down in the living room. But that's how the courting started, never alone. When I was married, I could not close my door. It was her house. I lived on the first floor, she lived on the second. I'm married now. We lived in a railroad house. The living room was here. The bedroom is here, so it's open. You don't lock my door. I own that house, she would tell me with her nightgown on. That's nighttime. Just walk through, I'm in the bed. <laughs> Just walk through the house. Anyone that comes, who was that? No privacy. My piano is in the living room. So the piano and I had no privacy at all. You know, it's hard. It, it was hard, but she didn't mind hearing the piano when I played it. So that was never a problem. And alone with the piano was great, but with the day and the nights that she was there, it was hard to get to the piano. He couldn't take it any longer. The cursing was just awful. My husband never wanted a household of children because our life runs parallel. He had a father that was a drinker. I had a mother that was a drinker. He was adopted. I was adopted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the way our lives ran. My husband had a father and mother who never let him have a room or a bed to sleep in. I never had a bed to sleep in. He never had friends at the house. I never had friends at the house. Our lives were the same. I guess that's why we were attracted. I think the reason he didn't want a lot of children was because he never had a chance to be exposed to children. I never had a chance to be exposed to children, but I loved children. He was I say brutalized, and I was brutalized. He was brutalized by his father.
I was brutalized by my mother. Our lives were the same. You know, he couldn't have company at the house. I couldn't have company at the house. He couldn't go anywhere. He never collected a paycheck. Neither did I. He worked as the tap dancer in a cabin where his parents were at five years old. He worked on a milk truck at the age of seven. He worked at the newspaper job before school. All of these he never collected a check from. He worked at a restaurant. He worked three jobs before going to school. He worked on a milk truck. He worked at a, rest, at a lunch and washing dishes. He had to stand on a stool to wash the dishes. He was so small, three jobs at one time. He had a hard life, had a hard life. He was a good husband. He was a good husband. I never asked to see a paycheck at the post office because he never had a check ever collected a check at home his whole life. He went into service and then his mother wanted that check. And he had, he, we were married then, she wanted the check. But that he didn't do. He, he gave it to me, but we were married. He had a hard life, but he played the drums. But that was church again. <laughs> to, that was their recreation for children, and that's how he got into the music. So here we are, music, music. My mother had developed diabetes, and she had to have the needle. And then she never approved of my husband because he was American. And she used to curse him morning and night and me, and you know, I both. But she mellowed after a while because he was always kind to her. Even through all of that, the disapproval and the cursing, and with her husband, she cursed him all the time too. But my husband ended up before he went to the post office at five o'clock in the morning to work, ended up giving her the needles. And she became very close to him. And then she really approved of him. Then she didn't want us to move. And my son was born first there. And she was teaching my son to say bad words. He had to go upstairs. <laughs> and I had to teach him that bad words were sometimes nicknames for pretty words. So he must never say bad words. So an example, when dinner was ready and my son was upset, she loved Rajan, I would say, Rajan, it's time. I'd open the back door and call him. And I'd say, Mama, tell 
Rajan, it's time for dinner. And she'd put him at the top of the back stairs and he would be, he was my age, when I was young, three years old. She'd say, B-I-T-C-H, I'm coming. And of course he would obey her. And I say, Mama, please don't do that. Please don't. And, you know, then I had to explain to him. I, he had to obey her. But then I had to explain to him what the naughty words were, you know. And, and that wasn't the meaning of the word. And this is what I would go through with him. My husband said, Maud, we have to move. We can't stay here and raise a child that way, you know. <laughs> but she did not want us to move. And I think love came, but she did not know how to express love. She lived without it so long. But on her deathbed, I was there. She, for the first time, love never came out of her mouth, even on the deathbed. But I held her hand because I knew she was dying. And she, first time, she said, I'm sorry. And I regret to now. I couldn't say it was all right. I wish I could have said, Mommy, it's all right. I couldn't say it. I, I just couldn't answer. But I loved her. Music brought me a relief. And it is the only medicine if you use it correctly, that can help you through life when you have problems. You hear of people that are musicians that die. They do not use their music correctly. If they use the music as medicine, they will get through it. They will get through their life. They don't use it correctly. When they have a problem, they can go to a, a composer who had that same problem in their home, and they can vent their problems with their music, and they can come out of it with content. How do I know it? Because I've been through it. I teach the children to go through their composers with music with problems. And they won't be able to suffer. I love Chopin. I love Chopin. Chopin knows what peacefulness but 
Puccini. I love Puccini. I love Puccini. As an organist, I substituted for all the different churches. I had the reputation of substituting for all the white churches, not just being the organist of a steady job, but substituting, I've had letters to prove it that I can show you, for all the different white churches in North Arlington, in Kearney, when an organist is sick and can't make it. They didn't call on another white organist. They called on me. They said they liked my touch at an organ. They called on me. Some of them didn't even know that I wasn't Caucasian until they saw me. The sexton that opened the door didn't even know. When I went to one church, at Church of St. Joseph. I went to the front door. The sexton told me, oh lady, this is the door, the back door. This is, this is the door. I said, isn't the front door open? He said, yes, but you have to come to this door. I said, where's the organ? He said, the organ is up there. I said, yeah, well, I'm the organist. He said, oh, then I went through the front door. I mean, I've, I've had obstacles. I've had obstacles, but I didn't get nasty. I had a pastor that the children had to sing for a mass in the morning. It was in English, not Latin. It was in English. The principal picked out the music. I usually pick out the music. The principal this morning picked out the music to be sung. I played the music on the organ. When the mass was over, I was coming down the, the steps from the choir law. The pastor was coming out the door of the church in the church. I said, good morning, Father Sheridan. He said, good morning, Mrs. Carroll. What was that jungle music that was played for the mass? My answer was not the answer my daughter would have given. I said to him, oh, Father, I'm so sorry. You will have to ask your nun Sister Patricia, what it was, because, Father, you forgot. I was educated with the same music that you were educated with, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. So you'll have to ask her. Have a good day, Father. And I walked out the door. That's not the answer my daughter would have given. My daughter would have given him 
the answer I think that he would have expected from a person of color. That's how I kept my job right along to pave the way for where I am today because he could have fired me if I gave him the answer he expected, but he didn't give him that answer because he knew I was educated. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where he had me because eventually I was only there because I knew the Latin and I had played Latin mass in his church before that English was translated from the Latin to English. So, you know, I've, I've had it with many of them, but I also knew how to address them. I was elected the only, only black woman ever to be the president of the Music Choir Guild. Years ago, 1999, 1947, I, I had, had three students. I'm still getting letters. They live in Florida. They live in um, New York. One lives in France. I'm still getting letters. They're old. And I'm still getting letters. It's so rewarding. I have sat down at times in the dark and cried when I hear from them. I can't believe that after a turbulent childhood, I'm getting love that I never heard from a childhood. Husband, yes, childhood. I'm getting from these children. That's why I do this. I said I would never stop. Oh, and these children have come a long way because I didn't give up. I need to give these children a way, a passage of life that they can venture on, that they can be grateful for that I know now that other teachers are not willing to give. And I'm not going to give up until I can no longer do it. I'm not going to give up because it's not fair. If you have a talent to go to the grave with and not give to your own human being. It's not fair. And that's why I imagine that I did not die on that voyage when I was three years old, because that was a miracle. Anytime the doctor said I would never live to make it to Ellis Island alive. It must be, it must have to been my destiny. I have children now that it's not easy to teach, but I'm not giving up. They sit at the piano and to 
measures in a row has the very same note, it will be in four quarter time with four notes being the same, four quarter notes, one hand, four quarter notes, same notes. They can't identify when they get to the second measure, which makes a total of eight notes the same, the same eight notes. When they get to that second measure, it's a different note in their minds. Four notes, the same, black notes with a stem. When they get to that second measure, they do not recognize the note as the black note with a stem. They play a different note each time. There's your patience as a teacher. You hold their hands up, turn the thumb in, put their finger on the four notes, one at a time, in the first measure, and then do it in the second measure. Do it the same time, then take your hand away. Put it on the key, press the key four times in one measure. Put the finger on the key four times in the next measure. They got it. Wow, I can listen to her all day. Me too. Well, let's tell everyone where they can follow Miss Carol's journey. On our website, beforeyougo.tv. Yes, at beforeyougo.tv. You can connect with us there. Send our guests fan mail or leave a donation for them or just a kind word. We all need a kind word from time to time, don't we? Absolutely, we do. Now, I thank Miss Carol for reminding us of that. Now, for our listeners, we know you have ideas of people in your circles who are storytellers, too. We want to meet them. Drop us a line at beforeyougo.tv and include them in our Before You Go time capsule. Maybe they'll be on our podcast. And before we go, we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Might be time to pick up that phone. There's no time like the present. What a gift. Before You Go is an Epiphany Inc. production. Hear more from Nicole Franklin and Bryant Monte at beforeyougo.tv.